Hi Jeremy. Hi Raphael. What's going on? Um, yeah, lots is going on. Too yeah. much. Too many things. I just got back from a beautiful vacation in yeah, South yeah. Carolina. Do you feel guilty? About vacationing? Yeah. Um, no, it felt great. I, I went swimming in the ocean. I mean, the thing is, with this vacation in particular, it took a day to get there and a day to get back. So I really only had like two days off. <laughs> so I didn't mm. feel that indulgent. And yeah. in those two days, I also had to get a presentation. That, that's been a big surprise to me. Uh, like Growing up, this podcast is always growing up in Europe and living in the US. But growing up in Europe and seeing American movies and everything, and you think you understand America or mm-hmm. North America... And I had no idea what it means when your family lives that far away. Like, mm. part of my family lived in Brazil, but the, the normal, everyone in my class, everyone's like, oh, we're going to grandma for Christmas. That's half an hour away. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then you see home alone and you see the stress of like traveling around Christmas time. Yeah. And you just think that's, they just made it crazy for the movie. It's like, no, that's everyday life. Like, people have to go to grandma for Christmas. And mm-hmm. when you have to travel with a family of five, it's very chaotic. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big country. I mean, and and particularly um South Carolina like I know this is not a political podcast, but that is definitely one of the most political places in America you can visit historically speaking because that's where um the civil war started, right? So <laughs> yeah, it was re- very uh very I, Yeah, I like that the US always every every spot has a tagline like, "Oh, we have the b- world's biggest sequoia." Mm-hmm. Oh, we have the highest murder rate. Oh, so yeah. worth it. Oh, yeah. we invented racism. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we do really good donuts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, that was it. Was it, it was great food? Um, Southern food's amazing. It was amazing. Beautiful, like landscape. Is Southern food amazing? Ocean. Fried chicken and stuff like that. I mean, Is it? Like, it I mean, it, to me, it, Southern food. Great. Uh, like all the, all, greens. all the. It seems that all the. Grits? Celebrity TV shows like Anthony Bourdain and stuff. They was like, oh, this is great food. But it's all just salty and fatty, so it's not that hard to make it taste good. Uh, I disagree. I think it's actually hard to do it really well. I mean, like to because, for example, with a really good fried chicken, you're like, you know, soaking it in buttermilk so the chicken's not dry and like, um, you know. Yeah, like but I, to me, it's more of a challenge to make a really good vegetable soup because you're not working with salt <laughs> and fat that easily. So to make it where you're like, wow, this is an amazing vegetable soup. Right, right. Well, yeah. I think what's amazing about some uh, some of the southern food is like it. You're right. There's like a lot of fat and salt, but somehow it doesn't feel heavy. Like it often, sometimes it'll feel light. Here, here's uh, something that's a, a, mm-hmm. a remark that doesn't sound so nice. And sorry to say it, but I, I never see the obese people in the U.S. Wherever I travel, do you ever? Oh, de- yeah, I mean, there's definitely people like that. That, are that kind of the, the people of Walmart blog and, and things like that. Like the people who go around in wheelchairs because they're that big. And I never mm. see them. Mm. Well, you're in New York. Yeah, but I, mean, I also, I mean, I, I went to different parts. I've been in Colorado and Arizona and I've been in Ohio. And then maybe it's just the, the places I go to. I don't know. But, but maybe it's just that, like, the but, way. But really, it, to me. That's it, a television image. W- what I mean is, for. to me, Americans are skinnier than Dutch people. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I think the image of, like, the stereotypes of Americans are always almost always incorrect, so... Um, it, but you know, but, but when, like what I maybe mean is that the, if you watch the news or read the newspapers and look at the data, you, you get really depressed. Mm-hmm. But daily life is quite different. So you're like, oh, two-thirds of Americans are overweight and one-third is obese. And, and mm-hmm. so I never see them. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, I then again, actually, I, I also there's a lot of people in jail, and I don't see them either. So I understand I'm in a bubble. But it's the one thing I really don't judge people on. I mean, certainly, I mean, there are a lot of things I don't judge them on, but I definitely don't judge people for their bodies. No, anyway, no, no. Um, that's not what I'm saying. And I don't want to. No, no, no. I know you're not saying that, but like, yeah. I, so I, I very rarely even consider it. But no, um, but but what I mean is that the, the, there's all types of crises. Mm-hmm. But they're just shielded. They're, they're right. completely invisible. Like you don't visit uh, impoverished right, right, right. primary schools or right. things like that. If you that. watched like Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution, you'd think America's on the brink of like everyone dying. <laughs> yeah, that's what. That's exactly what I mean. Because even at the Cleveland airport and uh, where you would think that's Ohio and there's a lot of people, I didn't see anyone obese. And like really, in, in if you're in Germany or the Netherlands, I think people are heavier. So the, yeah. 
I think those that, you know, people who are unhealthy generally are either, uh, you know, not out as much. But uh, anyway, what's today's? <laughs> I feel like this is like one of, the, one of those hard conversations about what is yeah, today's yeah, yeah. Uh, topic? Like what's on your mind? How is well, there, how's stuff in New York? I just have a small observation that I thought we could elaborate on. <clears throat> So spend and that's, an hour on your small observation. Like well, it's the, like a Seinfeld the, episode. <laughs> yeah, well, the observation is that um, a lot of people are talking about the four mega galleries or the big galleries, and the mm-hmm. small galleries do okay because they don't have a high cost of operations. Mm-hmm. And the large galleries do okay because rich people are conservative, so they just buy predictable stuff. Mm-hmm. And the mid-tier galleries are suffering. They do all mm-hmm. the R&D, yeah. and the big galleries scoop up the success stories, and et cetera. There's been a lot of writing about this, too. Yeah, and it seems that the exact same pattern is in filmmaking. Mm. That um, Marvel and Disney... Disney bought Marvel, and uh, what else? Pixar, probably the same company. I don't know. And they own, like, 90% of movie tickets. Yep. Or something like like that. Like, ridiculous. the the, The top movie in America right now is Avengers Infinity War. Yeah. And so it feels very similar... <clears throat> Hauser and Worth or Marvel, and like you just have a, a, a roster of superheroes and you just constantly repeat it. Mm-hmm. But you know, is this any different than any other time in, in yeah. history? That's the yeah, so this is, this is the eye opener for me mm-hmm. that um, I got Movie Pass, and even before that, because of Metrograph, I started seeing. I was really. Before that, I was really sick of movies. I, I thought yeah, I thought you were going to the movies like every day because yeah, yeah. Movie, but know, like maybe two years ago, I was like, I'm sick of movies. I was always on planes, and they would see Avengers Part Forty Five, and then Avengers <laughs> Part Forty Six, and my like, God, movies right. are so boring. I even even if I'm in an airplane, I would rather just stare at my shoes than look at this movie. It's that boring. Mm-hmm. And these movies are made for kids, so they really yeah. And so I was sick of movies, but then I started going to movie theaters with the curated program. And the, the problem for me was that modern indie movies are too obscure and, uh, and I don't know, they just didn't appeal to me. There's not a lot of humor and uh, not a lot of weirdness. And then I started seeing old movies again, and you're thinking, wow, it, it was possible to make interesting movies. Mm-hmm. So it, it, one, one key movie that I saw was uh, Zabriskie Point. I think by oh, yeah. Antonioni. Mm-hmm. And then last week I saw Sorcerer by uh, William Friedkin. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of an interesting background story. So Sorcerer is a, um, it's a movie about four people who, by chance of luck, uh, they do the wrong thing and they fled to South America and then they're, they're destitute, they don't have any money, and they have mm-hmm. to transport explosives. And, and if the truck makes the wrong move, they explode. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that film. So, Mm -hmm. super stressful movie, and it's shot in South America, but very gritty, realistic, so you're very stressed all the time. I I think it's based on a book as well. Yeah, yeah, Wages of Fear, Mm -hmm. the novel. It it was a movie, there was a movie made before it, but then, uh, anyway, the the, the director was the director of The Exorcist and The French Connection, and he won an Oscar, so he was very popular, and they offered him to direct Star Wars. George Lucas didn't want to direct it himself. Uh, so he was the cool guy in Hollywood at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he said, no, I've always wanted to film Wages of Fear, so I'm going to put everything I have into it. And it was one of those nightmare production black holes where it just kept uh, accident after accident in the terrain in South America, in the jungle, was so difficult, it was so expensive to shoot. Mm-hmm. And the movie flopped at the box office. It's kind of a difficult movie to explain. Like When you see the trailer, you still don't really understand what it's about. Mm-hmm. It's not one of those things where it's like, it's Uber for dogs. It's not like right. a easy. And the Star Wars happened, and that was kind of the end of the auteur era of filmmaking, where the director was also the writer and it was the, had a tone of voice. And then it mm-hmm. moved to the blockbuster era, which arguably has only just begun. So the, mm-hmm. the blockbuster era started then, and um, we're now at a point where blockbusters, what you remember are the names of the characters. You don't know who the director is, and you mm-hmm. might not. young people might not even know the name of the actors. Mm-hmm. It used to be like, oh, Die Hard with Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And now it's more like, oh, there's Iron Man, and there's uh, Thanos, and etc. Yeah, those, are, those are famous actors. I, mean, that are, I know, but, but I think a lot mm-hmm. of young people don't know the names of the actors. They just know Iron Man and, and uh, Thanos. Oh, interesting. Right, right, right. So it, it, it's, it's all... Uh, and... and 
what I mean is everything is uh, intellectual property is all very virtual. Like you, you could just swap actors. And the point I'm getting at is it's just uh, the gallery world just seems to be headed in the exact same direction and, and real estate as well. And so it sometimes when I read an article about the mega galleries versus the smaller gallery, et cetera, it, it and seems like just mega galleries, symptom- you're talking like Zwerner or, or are you talking like Gagosian? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, there's the f- official four mega galleries. It's Zwerner, Gagosian, House of Worth and Pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a bunch, maybe there's eight or whatever, but it's not many. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems, and the same when when you hear people saying, "Oh, we're getting priced out of cities," and it, it's just everything seems the same pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it's mean, just I, an observ- For me, it's an observation when people discuss the mega galleries versus smaller galleries. It's like, no, it's part of a bigger problem. It, it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with uh, the the initiative of individuals in that system. It's it's a bigger problem. But if you're going to draw parallels to these mega galleries, can you speak a little bit to the content? Because you talked a little bit about the content of Well, what I noticed movies. with movies <clears throat> is that it's not even the content of the movies. It's more like it's uh, a safety of entertainment. So if you look at the list of movies and say, like, okay, I'm going to spend 15 bucks, 12 bucks, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I want to have fun. Now, mm-hmm. I, know, I know that... Um, Going to McDonald's or Shake Shack is not going to be, it's not going to change my mind and show me something new, but it'll be tasty and I know exactly how full I'll be. Mm-hmm. And I won't get food poisoning and etc. Whereas if you're like, oh, let's try this edgy uh, a Thai place in a d- dangerous part of town or something, and you might mm-hmm. get sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it just seems with galleries, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, I could go to Brooklyn and see the show of this unknown artist, but... Uh, never mind. I'll just go to Hauser Worth. It's right around the corner. But what you're actually hinting at, I mean, because Hauser and Worth's not necessarily around the corner for everyone. But what you're hinting at is that, like, but for collectors, it's 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 in their area. Yeah. Oh, it's in their neighborhood. I see what you're saying. But you know what? What you're hinting at for me though is that there's still this sort of society of the spectacle, right? Like we still want. It, I feel like it's be only just part. begun. It's not still. It's like it's it's just getting started. Whenever people well, say late capitalism, <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> this is early in the late era. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what I mean though is like that's not a new idea, but it isn't an idea that evolved out of you know writing coming out of the seventies and eighties, right? Like, but like, and and sooner. Um, but as 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 I guess mass media started to evolve, people started to write about. Um, this idea of a collective experience, right? Where you might have previously had an individual experience, an intimate experience, like, oh, like to even for music, right? Like to listen to music. Um, I don't see the same had- pattern in music, though. I, th- I feel like music is distributed so f- easily that it's mm-hmm. very easy to take a risk and listen to a weird song. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that most experiences were, in, you know, not on a massive level. The exception maybe being like a carnival. No, it, it's interesting because it seems music is the opposite. Like it used to be everyone would listen to five albums that year and go to oh. arena concerts. And now it's mm-hmm. much more everyone listens to a different version of a different band of a different song. Sure. Yeah. But, I, you know, what I'm trying to chart is like in the history of people getting together to have experiences. And I'm thinking about this through a performative lens in a way. Or this collective, you know, because I think what pe- what people might be seeking in these films is a sense of connection. Um, no, and it might being part of a moment. Because otherwise, why would you go to the theater? You just watch it at home. You no, know? well, first of all, the theater, the screen is bigger. So, but I mean, my uh, my screen at home is pretty big. It's yeah. as big as a as a as a Manhattan movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, to me, it seems the reason people go to safe choices of movies and by safe choices of art that they have a guarantee of return on investment. Mm-hmm. The real reason is economic uncertainty. I was thinking about it and it, it, I know these cultural theory analysis is often uh, you could argue either way, mm-hmm. but it seems to me with this economic uncertainty, I think it's uh, safe to say that our generation I don't know if we're more poor than the previous generation, but our economics are more unpredictable. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it feels like it could shift any moment. It's like, oh, I have a job now, but it could be gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you live a life where you're not sure, it's like, should we have kids? I don't know if we can afford it. Like that feeling, then you don't want to mm-hmm. go to the movie theater and be challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. Like you had a stressful day. Not a you stressful want- day, like a stressful just... Uh, life. Yeah, like the, just the, just 
uncertainty. Like I mean, I've definitely heard that, and especially as you know, my as my parents got older, like I, you know, I'd be like, let's watch a movie, and this isn't even in a theater, and it would be like, well, as long as it's not stressful. <laughs> yeah, but but <laughs> you know, like it, it seems to me that youth culture and counterculture came out of prosperity, out mm-hmm. of economic certainty, like fifties and sixties. All their parents were safe, and they're like, uh, safety is boring. Yeah. We want different. Well, you're making an interesting point that I didn't consider, which is like. In any environment where you feel safe, you take more risks. This yeah. is like well documented in terms of like because I, I you know run design teams, so I'm always looking at like what's the research on yeah. So on if, how if we your get design team is worried about getting fired, they're not going to take risks. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But but you're but you're you're right in terms of the studios as well. They're not going to take risks. But then I have the quintessential example. I've mentioned this on the podcast many times that one of the you know the top producers in Hollywood is this guy Jason Bloom. And he's the producer behind Get Out, and um, but he's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, well, it's just that he's he's he has all of these hits, um, and the way his his what his philosophy is is to um, basically produce as many films as possible for as little money as possible, and you know he's betting on the chance that one yeah. of them. And okay, I, yeah, I, I, the opposite actually of what you're talking about. I know exactly what you mean, but. It seems that uh, bef- before the blockbuster era, uh, or 30 years before, the, also the Hollywood studios controlled everything, and mm-hmm. young people were getting bored. It's like, we don't want to see another musical with a happy ending. And that's when stuff like Easy Rider came up, because the studios were like, well, people are not going to the movies anymore. So I, mm-hmm. fe- I feel like uh, there will be another time of more economic certainty, and then the young kids will be like, I don't want to go to Star Wars Part 67. You know? I think though that the, like, I don't like, want to see the, the, the another prequel of Han Solo's puberty and. But then we also just had um, Black Panther, which actually was a very interesting movie. I don't know if you had a chance to go see it. I saw. Super I thought it, that was the one where I was like, I'm not going to any Marvel movies anymore. These are so boring. What I thought, I mean, <laughs> it, I mean, I think that they're what those a lot of the superhero movies are doing now. That's interesting. If I can just like play. No, no. To me, to me, that's the crazy thing is that you've gotten so used to bad movies that if they're slightly better, you're like, wow, there is hope. Well, what they're trying to do is, I think they're recognizing exactly what you're talking about. That they're now the that they are recognizing that they're almost like the defining genre of cinema at this moment in popular culture. And yeah, by box office results, they are the definition of. Film yeah, going and now. therefore it's interesting to see how they also are now trying to embed social responsibility into their narrative. Yeah, right? I, I understand that statistically that movie, uh, but but from a filmmaking standpoint, it's not a movie that surprises you where the narrative is like, oh, what happened? I didn't see right. that one coming. It's formulaic in its composition, but yeah, so it's theme, almost, but it's almost like surprising. it's almost like McDonald's serving soul food and saying like, see, we also have a responsibility. Yeah, but like, think about. Um, so let's rewind and back to Get Out, the movie I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, the you know best movie last year in a lot of in, in many circles. It won a bunch of awards. Now it actually took two genres and and like mashed them up and then surprised you um, with a social critique and with um, like a cinematic critique, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, like that, I would. I was just blown away that that movie existed. I was very excited. And then it makes you really happy that that's possible. Like, I I don't know if you felt that. I didn't see that movie in particular. But whenever something in Mm. your time happens where it's not like, oh, Woody Allen made great movies in the 70s, but I wasn't around or whatever. And when something happens in your time, it's very thrilling. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and, and credit goes to, you know, the director, Jordan Peele, for that film, right? Like, the, there are new auteurs that are always emerging. Another film that I think the year before really blew me away, I don't know if you saw it, was Moonlight. Again, won yeah. the Academy Award, was very successful at the box office, was about, like, social, like, all these social politics, was also cinematically gorgeous. Uh, did you see that movie? Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you're comparing the present moment to all of cinematic history. That's one of the yeah. That's dangerous, but I I, I do think there there was a. It, what I'm trying to say is that the crazy movies from the '70s are way crazier than the crazy movies now. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Moonlight. There's more experimentation. It's it's just it, I think it was a lot of drugs, and you just feel it when you watch those movies. Like this is insane. 
Yeah, you're making a good point, which is like, I know that, um, you know, in, in 3D movies came along, right? And like, you could say like 3D movies, you know, ultimate carnival experience and definitely indicate that all people are interested in is like a roller coaster ride, right? Yeah. Um, and in fact, at my movie theater locally, they have something called 4D where the, yeah. the seat, the seat actually moves <laughs> around. Yeah, and they add around. smells like, and explosions. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Um, but then you have like uh, Godard making a 3D film where he's stacking, you know, different uh, films in each eye <laughs> and making, <laughs> making you cross-eyed. And it's a film about a dog or something and you're not even really sure what's going on, right? So uh, there, uh. there are still people that are experimenting, but that experimentation, I think the point you're making, which is, is good, is how many people saw that Godard film in 3D? Yeah, right? I didn't even, yeah. Yeah, very few, right? So, yeah. And how many people saw, like, I don't know, Werner Herzog's Cave of Forgotten Dreams, another 3D film that I thought was brilliant. Yeah, so, so that's um, what I'm curious about. If, if I'm romanticizing the past or if... Bef- the, before the blockbuster era, the numbers of people who would go to difficult movies was higher as a percentage. But you know what I find really amusing about this coming from you is like normally we talk about how, you know, this like pretension surrounding the experimental is, you know, is, is not is one of the parts of art that you dislike the yeah. most. And it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, so it, what's it, different for you here? I don't know. I th- I th- it feels like uh, um, maybe I'm somewhere in the middle. So. When you go to art, that it's already experimental, and when you go to the experimental fringes, it's it's just too much of a sketch mm-hmm. and not a finished work. Yeah. But then when you go to movies, it's too polished. So when you go to the experimental side of movies, you get to that area where it's still uh, comprehensible and it's still relatable and it still mm-hmm. has an emotional impact, but it's more surprising. Yeah, I mean, like... I, I want to go back to music for a second, even though, I mean, it was last episode, so it's still in my mind. But, like, did you see what Beyonce did at Coachella? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't, like... No, she, I didn't. She, I'm really she, not interested in pop music. But again, like, she did something unpopular in a way, or she start, she she stacked all these references that she knew her audience wouldn't understand. So, and she did a bunch of, or that they'd have to unpack later. Um, and so she built like critique into Coachella, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, one thing that I think is interesting about the superhero movies about Get Out, about this trajectory toward you're absolutely right, this like society where there's only like two genres and it's like a formula, is that some people uh, are starting to like really undermine or like subvert those formulas. Mm. And I find I find that subversion but, but, actually kind of interesting. But if you look at the if you think of McDonald's offering a taco or a pizza to be ethnic, like, is it mm-hmm. on that level? No, I think it's more on the level of McDonald's serving a hamburger and not telling you it's uh, not made with meat. You know, it's made yeah, with vegetables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. And so, like, you know, often as an artist, you, you know, you're, you're doing this as well, like, where you might, you know, you create one... One there's one way into the artwork for a popular audience, but then for the the discerning eye, there's like five more layers. Yeah, yeah. What 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 pisses me off is that when the the Marvel movies try to be subversive, they just take movie tropes of twenty years before of like oh the mixtape sort of Tarantino soundtrack, and then we'll add that mm-hmm. to Guardians of the Galaxy, and then everybody's like oh that was an edgy Marvel movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Oh, let's because add the, some 70s rock I, to a space movie. And then, like, the point you're making is that it's like the bar is so low. Yeah, if they yeah, do yeah, anything yeah. critical, it stands out like a, you know, like a sore thumb. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. there's an and, actual and, gesture. But my, my real <laughs> criticism of, of the, the Marvel genre of movies is that I just always know exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, it, there's what's, never... It, and, and I think you really have to go see some unusual movies to refresh yep. your mind because it, and and the problem is you say you can watch them at home all these movies that I talk about that uh, even really old movies like I watched the 1931 Dracula which mm-hmm. was not a pretentious movie it was just the thrilling entertainment of the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was still to me I didn't know what was going to happen all the time I was just surprised all the time <laughs> Right. And, and and often well, these movies yeah. no the, the thing I really want to say is that these movies are impossible to watch at home because at home you can go to the bathroom you can get some chips in the kitchen and then you can go back and check your Instagram and by definition to me interesting movies are hard to watch they're hard to watch in the sense that they're kind of boring they're slow and they're stressful so you constantly yeah. want to like I, I can't deal with this and if it's if not doing that to yeah. you it's not an interesting movie 
I have a wake up call for you. It's called video art. <laughs> it like exists in the gallery. Yeah, I, I like, always I'm thought coming. video art is like, why would you go to video art if you can make movies? Like it, it, video art feels like a cop out, but it, no disrespect. You're the exception, of course. But yeah. Well, I know, but in the video art world, I mean, I, I've, I've spent my life immersed in that world and then eventually got sick of it. But because nearly everything you watch is designed intentionally to challenge. Uh, yeah. And that's been true from the very beginning. It was always a bit challenging. To test the, the limits me- of viewing? Media. Yeah, but uh, like it was about challenging the media itself because remember, being on TV prior to 1969 was impossible. So as soon as people could get on TV, artists got on TV and they said, what is TV? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then through that question and that curiosity, it led them to like investigate yeah, and like like make every a, possible... Make an epic 12-hour saga about a remote control. Sure. Or put a magnet on the TV or like explore the frame of the TV. Yeah. Like I, no, and, I and a lot of great things happen in video art, of course. Yeah, but I, 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 one of the things I wanted to bring bring back was um, I've lost my train of thought on this, but like, uh, what was I going to say? I'm sorry. What, what, what <laughs> was a what was a movie? Uh, yeah, are there any auteur films that are a bit older ones that really shaped you? Oh, that, that that's right. Well, I think that what you know, one thing that you're getting at, and I don't know if you read this book, Creativity Inc. It's about uh, Pixar and um, and like how they make movies and things like this. But one thing that's really interesting while you're reading this book is you realize the scale of the team that builds a movie today is like enormous. Mm-hmm. Like it's way bigger than it ever was, even in the Hollywood studio era that you know of the 1950s. But that that actually also represented the least original. Uh, genre of film in that era, but the more people you get involved, the point I want to make is the less hard, the less, uh, the harder it is to make an to have an original gesture because everyone yeah. is questioning yeah, yeah. all of the gestures. Yeah. And I've recognized this working in a software company. As the software company's grown, it's harder for me to have authorial control. Um, and I've noticed this in video games. You know, as video games got more complicated and expensive, that genre yeah, got watered sense. down. And then, totally and then indie sense. video games really rose, right? Because it's like, ah, there's all these huge studio video games and they're so boring. It's the same old thing. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, Assassin's Creed 11, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And so now there's like, but it, it spawned a plethora of like independent video games. And now that genre is like oversaturated. I have a feeling in cinema, we're, you know, there's probably um, a new underground that we're maybe not aware of yet that's emerging that or that will, you know, counter. Yeah, uh, I, I always thought that the Internet would uh, make a small independent film would, would blossom. But so far, I haven't. Well, I'll tell you when it did blossom, like before the internet, just before the internet, <laughs> yeah. uh, just before the internet took off, when movies were at their sort of, you know, in a similar place to where they are now, they were in the heading in this direction. The film festivals and underground film festivals in America exploded. Mm. I was because I was showing in those film festivals as a video artist. Um, they, I, I was showing like at least once a week in you know in festivals all over the country. There were all these little micro cinemas in every city. New York Underground Film Festival was one of the best. Um, the oldest festival, of course, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and there were all the anyway. You could do this tour of festivals, and people would go on tour. Like I had a friend, this guy Jim Finn, and he would just like constantly tour these little independent film festivals with these thirty-minute, twenty-minute films. And he was like a celebrity. People would be like, "Round of applause! Oh my god!" You know, Corey Archangel and I were in a screening together at the New York Underground Film Festival, and Corey's piece in was was like um, called "Sans Simon," and it was just a clip of uh, Simon and Garfunkel where he put his hand over the projector. To block Simon, <laughs> <laughs> to block Paul Simon out, uh, and so you know, just his shadow changed the meaning of the film. Um, but there were like there was tons of experimentation going on, and then guess what happened? The internet, YouTube, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and the festivals like yeah, almost overnight I, I, disappeared. I think I think that um, for a long time I thought movies were an irrelevant medium because of the internet. So I thought there are new forms. There's uh, VR, YouTube, Twitter, podcast, uh, whatever form for storytelling that there is. And the old ways uh, should just go to the archive. Mm-hmm. Um, but lately, it, I, I think it's just it, your it interest goes in waves. So after you've seen a million silly YouTubes, you're like, oh, maybe I would prefer to see a two-hour challenging narrative than a th- three 
minute face yoga what? clip. I think it's worth talking about though, because what you're you're hinting at is that attention spans, YouTube fatigue. That's what I'm hinting well, at. Yeah. Well, there's one really good point you made earlier, which is like good film, and this was true of video too. You know, requires your it's almost painful like to watch. Res- restrained attention. That is to say, for you to not watch should take it, some. It's friction. really like Clockwork Orange, where you have to sit down and they have to put a mask on you and eye drops and just keep your eyes open. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but on the internet, the internet is designed as an interface actually to allow you to multitask and skip around yeah. and, and hyperlink, right? And so yeah. that process, you know, doesn't make sense. In yeah, terms and of like and that process just restraint. seems antithetical to long quiet movies and so you could say embrace the time you live in and don't try to pretend that it's 1950 yeah 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 well the other thing is like choice matters right so i was on i was watching a a film on netflix last night and i was like you know 10 minutes in i was like "Mm, this isn't working for me (laughs) but uh, (laughs) yeah 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 exactly but the same thing maybe there's something else the same thing happened with television you would have thought that would have killed cinema change the channel yeah and but how many good movies come out of television, right? Yeah, well, the, now people argue that the, it's a golden age of TV shows, but uh, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how many well, TV it, shows are actually interesting. I mean, Westworld just started again, which is the show everyone would be watching right now. Uh, Silicon show, Valley, I love. It's a show about shows, because it's a show about genres and, about like, entertainment. and entertainment, yeah. and about the theme park of the world yeah, that we yeah, all yeah. live in right now. So it's kind of, it's reaffirming your point, but it's trying to take a critical point of view of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that that to me, a lot of people say the golden age of television because there's more experimentation happening. Well, one, one person argued that uh, American storytelling, the, the, slightly critical or critical, uh, can't operate on a global scale because the the references are too local mm-hmm. and the economics of films they're so expensive to make the big budget movies as you said the teams are huge so they have to operate and they have to be all ages uh, and so an eight-year-old in china or in australia or in germany and an 80-year-old in france and in norway and in japan they should all enjoy the marvel movie equally so yeah, you, you have to, and, and the tv yeah. shows that their economics are a subscription model in uh, locally and, and they're not as expensive to produce so they can make weirder stories we're also hinting at something that's really sad and problematic for me like you know you mentioned pixar earlier and like they win academy awards every year but every year i've 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 seen a pixar film i've been so depressed because of the amount of stereotypes and like the formulaic kind of aspect of the film that they just drop in the same exact narrative over and over again and you're like what is this? This is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is almost actually propaganda. morally corrupt. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, yeah. you know, like why is it that, you know, the, the, the Asian kids smart and like the fat kids stupid or like <laughs> they'll leave, they'll, they'll, and they'll be in the film and people are like, it's genius. I'll be like, no, it's not. It's like the most <laughs> bullshit movie I've ever seen. It's actually, yeah, it's, it's, what's that movie? It's, uh, when you treat someone like a child, even if they're not, what's the word for yeah, that? It's patronizing. Patronizing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not only patronizing. But so it, it, it literally, it, it's it's not in in your head. It's literally, it has to appeal to, uh, from age four to a hundred, mm-hmm. and so it's the common lowest denominator. And like, uh, you can't make it too quick because old people won't follow. You can't yeah. make it too disturbing because kids will be upset, and so it, uh-huh. it'll just yeah. So you end up with mashed potatoes. Like every well, movie is mashed about- potatoes. Can I talk about a personal experience? And I won't name the institutions involved because it's been several times in my career that I've had this experience. So I show my work from time to time in museums. And one thing that our listeners might not know about museums is that they have family-friendly policies. (laughs) And so quite often you'll be asked to censor your work. Mm, uh, If there's nudity or things like that. If there's nudity, if there's offensive content, if you refer to sexual behavior or norms, like you might yeah, refer or, to or flashing, same sex. flashing colors that could raise epileptic seizures. Yeah, like my, one example might be like if I'm a lesbian, uh, I can't necessarily, a museum might not want to include that content in, in, in their show. It's too, because too they, sexual. It's, yeah, and this happens all over the world. It's happened to me in England, it's happened to me in America. Um, if I if there's like if I'm hinting at problematic like issues that I think are important, they'll be like, mm, we're not really comfortable with that. Yeah, you know? and and there's also the issue of we want to look smart. So if if you make things that are uh, uh, intentionally dumb, then they're like, no, that that would make our board members uncomfortable. 
Yeah, but you see, the point I'm trying to make here is that in museums where you'd expect there to be the most amount of experimentation, right, the avant-garde of art, like if you look at the spectrum of culture, what's the museum's responsibility? It's theoretically to present yeah, what's so coming I, next I, for I don't think that's culture. the role of art. I think that's the role of philosophy or theory. And I think mm -hmm. the role of art is more, um, it's a church for atheists. But you've always, I mean, are you just joking right now? Because no. you've, always, uh, you've always argued that art's role is to, ex to not have any rules and there's no right or wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what, what, we, uh, what I see more is how it functions around the world when people visit museums is, is people want to have, go to a calm place and chill. Yeah, well, that's that's again like your superhero movie, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Museums. And it's it's it, it, I, I don't know who did the, and I, I read it somewhere. I can't remember the article, but I, if you look at the major museums, then uh, ninety percent of the shows come from those four or eight mega galleries because they're the only ones who can fund the big shows. Mm -hmm. So there's no surprise there. Yeah, I mean, like. I, it, it, I, there was a new museum that opened or renovated our art gallery of Ontario here in Toronto renovated a few years ago and the you know they did their first big show but then their guess what their second show was it was like the it was called like the pharaoh or the mummy or something like that it was like literally as if it was the mummy movie and they had like Egyptian artifacts and stuff. <laughs> it was like a contemporary art museum and it was like a touring yeah, exhibition yeah, yeah. and so one thing you haven't talked about is like that shows got really expensive to put together, yeah, but gallery budget. They, they use movie terminology. Got. They call it a blockbuster show, right? And, 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 but, and the, but, like but, the Netherlands, uh, the, the 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 national government decides on the direction of museums. And for a while, they they're like, we got to get attendance up. So what do the museums do? It's like, oh, we'll do blockbuster shows because you put a poster and you say, well, it's Picasso, and then people show up. Yeah, and I and, had a lot but of But then, but then they re they reviewed it, so visitor attendance went up. But then, all the budget goes into the blockbuster shows. They're very expensive, and like, mm -hmm. well, we don't have money to archive things and to collect and to educate. And so now they're like, oh, we should wind it down a little bit and uh, not focus on visitor attendance, but focus on archiving and uh, long term strategy. Is that what they're saying? But like, if we can go back to the original point, which is that shows got more expensive, therefore they had to be blockbusters. Therefore, they but that wasn't enough. They also had to tour. And yeah, so yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. concept of a touring exhibition. Yeah, that's which used exactly to be an anomaly. It's exactly it, it. It's almost like a a chokehold of like, well, real estate goes up. Well, we need more visitors. Well, the other one has more visitors, so we have to go up, and then it 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 it's unstoppable. Yeah, it's part of a business model. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, right? but it, like, it almost seems like the business model benefits landlords mostly. Yeah, but the point <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is exactly that, is that the gallery actually functions more like a movie theater, um, and the curators act as almost like the movie producers, and then yeah. they tour their exhibitions. Yeah, and then the, this theaters. is kind of silly, but I always thought of Richard Serra's Iron Man. <laughs> Why, just because if, of the iron? Yeah, if you have to think of what's his superpower. Yeah, he, he just does everything. With, and like, uh, Especially uh, when his, have you seen his early works when he used to throw molten yeah, yeah. Along. And then Marina Abramovich is some kind of superhero who can stare for a very long time. And yeah, so you could, you could see every uh, she has artist. crystals. Yeah, <laughs> you could see every artist that you could Crystal see him as an X-Men or as a Marvel character. Yeah. I mean, there are fewer and fewer of these. I mean, I guess there's always been a very few artists that reach that level of, uh, like you're saying earlier, like of celebrity status. Yeah, like, and also one-liner status where you can just summarize a body of work and be like, okay, that's what they do. Yeah, like there's the, who are the Bruce Willises of art, right? Yeah. But you were saying earlier that you don't think people remember Hollywood stars anymore. I kind of disagree. I think you're just getting older. Um, no, but, but I, I think if you ask 15-year-olds uh, that saw the Avengers movie and they're like which actor played Thanos mm. they, they okay. don't know so would they know who Jeff Koons was like a 15 year old art kid or something like that yeah yeah I don't know it, 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 this is all guesswork or they'd be like oh it's the person who does shiny dogs <laughs> no I, I definitely think that um, in um, my dad was talking about Jeff Koons because he always goes to this region of Spain and it's close to the museum that has the giant flower puppy Mm -hmm. And he would speak to people in a bakery, and they're like, oh, what do you do? And my dad's like, well, I'm an art teacher. Oh, art, yeah, we love the big uh, flower puppy. 
They don't know right, the name. Right. They just know the image. I think there are many instances in art history where, especially with public works, where people know the work and they don't know the artist. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, this weekend in South Carolina, I was staying with some really dear uh, friends and family, and I was um, talking to them about what I was doing. They, they, they were um, this one guy who was raised by. Um, an artist who was uh, studied with Picasso, and so she was like a famous painter. And you know, I was talking about my work, and he kind of I thought he was getting it, but then and then later the week in the weekend, he's like, "We're really gonna have to sit down and look at your iPad paintings together." <laughs> I was like, "I never mentioned iPads or painting, but re- I had talked art, about art technology, technology. And yeah. art and technology." Well, we did do right? an episode about uh, drawing on the iPad. So maybe he listened. Which, to the by the way, I spent the whole weekend doing because I like I I did a PowerPoint or like a, a presentation, and I presented. Uh, all just drawings I did on the iPad. It's I'm actually now really into this. <laughs> You're getting into it's for, it's, a, it's for another podcast. But like instead of like spending hours like looking for clip art online to make presentations, I could just draw them. Oh, you know, that's, that's nice. my new thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's a story yeah, for another day. Yeah, but. and I I also think maybe we'll look back in 20 years and be like, oh, that Marvel era of movies was fun, and that that mega gallery era was fun. They had these giant shows, and and. Yeah, maybe, right. maybe it's just well, in waves that, of like big production and small production. I think for us to do that, we should look and see if there have been any other waves. So can you remember? No, but can it, you it, recall the wave? It, 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 I mean, there's been waves historically of like a pharaoh deciding, this mm-hmm. is what we're going to make all ten thousand artists in the country. This is the job for the next three thousand years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it, this is or like the Rococo is is the next fifty to hundred years yeah. of style or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I do think um, after when you read about the art world in New York in the fifties or forties or even before Abstract Expressionism and a little bit after that when America really developed its own art world, mm-hmm. there were six relevant galleries or five or six or seven. So maybe it's just problem, maybe yeah. it's just going back to that model where uh, five or six galleries are enough. But I honestly think that like experimentation hasn't died. It's just that the way we spot that kind of genius has changed. And so, like you know, like think about uh, stars who might have risen very quickly in the past. Like new auteurs are very. It seems no, like people it, take less risk on new. No, I, new I, I agree that human behavior, um, like experimentation, is just in humans, and it, it will just happen. But where it happens is different in each era. So maybe for a while. <clears throat> The, the most interesting experimentation was in film or it was mm-hmm. in music and maybe for a while it's more in fashion or for a while it's... So it, it, it's like you're a 15-year-old and you're curious and you're experimenting and you have visual abilities and you're like, should I go to filmmaking? And you see all the Marvel movies and you're like, ah, no way. I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. go to media art or I'm going to go to poetry or I'm going to, you know? But I, I guess what I'm asking is if I'm 15 years old, if, if we have any 15-year-old listeners... And I'm thinking, you know what? In this lifetime, I want to change the world. Uh, you know, I want to. You know what? Raphael and Jeremy are saying is right. There's like no more. You know, this Marvel movie stuff. It's it's garbage. I'm going to do something different. With, you know, a what would I do? And B, would the world recognize what I was doing was revolutionary? Is there so much fragmentation? I guess the point yeah, I want to yeah, make. Yeah, yeah. You know, are there so many genres and subgenres and experiments? Are there so many experiments? How that can we I contribute even anything in that chaotic soup? Exactly. Like it, within the tornado, it's hard to find anything of meaning. I often argued on the internet, it you know it doesn't matter whether it's a beheading or a cat video, it all has equal value. Well, it, right? yeah, so, definitely shocking content is just not relevant since Trump. Like, how can you shock? Yeah. And I remember when I first finished uh, school at Syracuse in 2006, I came out and I started doing TV commercials and, vi- and viral videos were a thing. And I, I directed a few virals. I think I talked about this on the podcast before. And at that time, it was just enough to do something weird to stand out on the internet. <laughs> it was so, already something if you were an artist and you were able to upload a video. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, the top video on the internet that year was actually an advertisement, or was one of the top videos, of a gorilla playing drums in, you know, um, I, what's that song? I can hear it coming in the love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and he was, he was, it was a fuck, it was a Cadbury commercial, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, um, that, that was enough, right? Like, that's all you needed to do. I mean, can you name, like, there's been, there are probably been so many, there are memes that come out on, and it, it, they live and die, you know, on a weekly basis. Oh, yeah, and less um, than that, yeah. I also think, though, there are, there are some really, 
hopeful changes that are happening around, you know, culture and social revolution. And those things seem to be catching uh, steam. Like, so there's experimentation around identity um, that we're maybe not talking about or recognizing. And it's starting to emerge in films. Like, the Today opening, I just saw that there's a new film opening called Revenge. Did he's, I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but it's interesting that it exists. Yeah, and it, it, I think it's always, since films are such a team effort, they're always mm-hmm. going to re- be a little bit behind the times, but then yeah. they summarize it in a way that... Uh, um, Makes it very well, powerful. this film is like just it, the film actually in the trailer, um, which is it's a movie about women taking revenge. In the trailer, it has like comments on YouTube that men made about women, um, like misogynist comments, and then like and then it, the the trailer is just women like shooting men in the face. <laughs> it's, it's that like, sounds like a good movie for really, Jeremy. It, it, I'm really. <laughs> well, it's, I think what's interesting is that like the, has this the trailer itself just referred been a, to YouTube. Has it just been a strategy to meet girls for you. Well, what is interesting in this case, it's like a it's a strategy for making money, right? Um, yeah. But that yeah. I, I, what I want to talk about is the circularity of it referring back to YouTube, right? Like that media is consumed on you know on a cultural mass cultural scale now, and therefore like yes, it's hard to move, but once it gets moving, like. You know, it it's kind of crazy where it it, it goes, and, it, and it's interesting, right? Like um, for hundred years, right? Like you might not have made any progress on. There was some progress on feminism, obviously, in the nineteen sixties and seventies, but in the last five years, especially, not to make this all about feminism, because there are other movements too, like Black Lives Matter and stuff. There there's been mem- huge momentum shifts uh, politically, yeah, just yeah, because yeah. of the internet and media. And it's also something I never realized. In- Till I was in the U.S., that uh, you know, I always liked cowboy movies, and mm-hmm. to me, it's just fun seeing a cowboy uh, riding around in the desert and being a bad guy and a good guy and a bad guy and shooting and. You, but it's just entertainment, and I didn't realize mm-hmm. those movies are political manifestos for gun ownership and uh, <laughs> the, the <laughs> myth of the lone hero and the, the corrupt <laughs> government and freedom and uh, even Rambo. I didn't know that was a political manifesto. <laughs> You're just watching it well, and you're, you're like, like, oh, this is Rambo, this is ridiculous. Look at his muscles, he's a crazy guy. And then you're like, oh, there's actually half the country really believes that that movie is like the way the world should be. Like the the cops don't do anything. The justice system is corrupt. So we should just shoot people in the face. And it, right. Well, I think and but I, that's what I, they, I really I never realized are... that that was intended to get votes. Well, and also you were 12 years old. But like the other thing I think is interesting is movies are really a what we you know in in software we have leading and lagging indicators in terms of like how we measure success and a leading indicator lagging indicators sometimes take a really long time but they're the thing that really moves culture moves the psyche like that moves behavior moves psyche yeah the leading indicators are the evidence that we might be heading in the right direction but is is leading it's like box office sales well, I'm saying, actually, I think that movies represent, at least culturally speaking, a lagging indicator. So, like, because of all the risk that we talked about, the costs and everything, by the time an, a, an interesting idea hits the movies, it's a mainstream idea. Or it better be, because they're going to lose money otherwise, right? And so, there's this, like, it, it's really interesting to see what the top films are, because they represent probably culturally exactly where we are right now as a, yeah. as a larger yeah. body. And I, I do think uh, historically there are moments where the movie system is not uh, part of the, the youth culture and then the youth is just gets bored and doesn't go to movies anymore. Yeah, 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 of course. But I mean, a couple of years ago, the you know, my favorite movie of all time, you know, was remade as Mad, like the new Mad Max was incredible, right? It was like... And that was a remake of a 1980s series of films that I remembered when I was a kid, right? It was like, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a remake. It was, it was actually a continuation. Just an of that. Well, continuation. It, it, it felt like the movie he always wanted to make and he didn't have the budget. So now they... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the idea still held up. Yeah. I, I yeah. It was good. Yeah. So, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, what's funny to me, um, and I'm always more interested in aesthetics than uh, political views, and mm-hmm. I think your balance is more in political views. But maybe the next episode we can do about street art, because I'm interested in this guy, JR, where clearly it's not my thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't have any arguments to get why it's bad, because it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so, and, and even for you, it's like, yeah, he's showing the plight of uh, people who have a hard life. Right. So it, it sounds like something you would love. <laughs> 
Well, we should read an ad, and then I want to come back and I want to talk about um, how Netflix is thinking of opening movie theaters. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's do the ad. Okay. So, it, so this ad, we're, we're gonna try are we, and do are we this gonna, ad. Let's do one sentence at a time. We swap. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, like to punctuation. Yeah. Because I don't know what a sentence yeah. is here. Okay. Um, here we go. We're gonna try this ad. <laughs> Shall I get going? Sure. All right. I'm gonna do. Anyong. Nanyong kaya. 지금 한국이 이눈 살은 둘은 모두 하대온 일로 면 추고 인수하다감 이 접속 하죠 여기 보면 더 보기 있지 구글 눈은 도음 e n a r g e t i c 미줄 k 눌러 줘 Gyogilo Jogi F O L L O W Lul Ku Oog Nulejo Gamsa Gamsa Wat it ting Kak Wat Kyak Okay, well, thank you for we'll, that. We'll put ad. the link in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, it is a link to an Instagram account, which um, the person who submitted the ad would love to see uh, her friend get more followers. Um, her Korean friend only speaks Korean, so I hope we did some justice to that ad. Uh, it, and uh, I mean, I definitely don't know how to speak Korean. No. <laughs> anyway, back to, we, back to uh, the show. Yeah, I had a good time Thanks in Korea. Thanks for the ad. I, I, love I love that. that I love this idea that we would... Uh, Poorly read yeah. ads from all in different yeah. languages from all over the world. So no, I, um, I just want because I don't think it's worth a full episode. I'm just curious with yeah. uh, the work of Jr. Um, he makes feminist work. He makes bo- uh, work about women in poor countries. Mm-hmm. He makes work for immigrants, uh, and he reaches the people. It's very non. It's very approachable. Right. What, do you enjoy that work? Uh, it's like mural-based stuff, right? Like, yeah, he makes it. Uh, I don't know if you know his work, but I'm, I'm just, I'm very fascinated with street artists doing what a lot of uh, academic artists are saying they are doing. Like, they're trying yeah, to reach yeah. the people and make the world a better place. Whenever I think about street art, though, I'm actually like, I, I think it's, um, it's interesting because the, the, origi- the initial gesture is beautiful. The idea of signing your name on a wall and claiming public space as your own as a protest against advertisements and brands that do the same thing, um, but you're doing it, but you're subverting the whole system. You're saying like, I don't have money, but I have a pen, right? I think that that's a beautiful act in and of itself. When you get to that kind of like massive scale with street art, where I think with uh, JR, from what I've seen, he's like doing things that are building sized and whatnot. Um, it's definitely, you know, if it's still, it's it's still the same gesture, but at what point? But does his it become his gesture is like I'll photograph people around uh, an area of conflict, where I photograph yeah. Jewish people and Palestinians, and they have fun together because I want to show the world that uh, we can be happy together. And so it just mm-hmm. seemed like it seemed to me like art that you wouldn't like aesthetically, but that intellectually you would have to admit that yeah, he's doing a good thing. Hmm. The only thing that I think is you know, interesting for us to discuss in relationship to cinema, though, is that like, as the scale increases, the, pop, the, the message becomes available to more people. Therefore, you have to kind of water down the content. It has to be like, potentially less controversial and more didactic. Mm-hmm. It has to be more like a Pixar movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to appeal more to stereotypes and less to nuances. But, but when you want to achieve a, a goal of embracing a lot of people, because that politically you want to speak to a non-educated audience... Then you well, anyone who's yeah, but anyone who's trying to be socially progressive knows that like, it's a, the biggest challenge is the intersectionality, right? That there are so many intersections that comprise identity that to truly say something transcendent, you actually can't use those simple stereotypes. Yeah, and so yeah, I think yeah. that would be like where I would but get. But that's to a funny be, you know, contradiction. When you're, crin- when you're cringing, it's because it's like uh, it's actually a lot more complicated. Than yeah, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's kind of offensive that you but it, boiled it down yeah. to the simplicity. But it's like that War is Over project of Yoko Ono and John Lennon. And mm-hmm. they they did have to simplify the message to reach a lot of people. And that was really John Lennon's influence yeah. over Yoko Ono. Though Yoko Ono, I mean, her works can be as simple as like holding a rock in your hand for 10 minutes. And she does a lot of... You know, yeah, she's done but a lot that's of not as easy to understand as War is Over. 
I know, it's funny, because I went with my team, my design team, to go see a Yoko Ono show, and she had that riverbed piece where you just pick a rock up from the riverbed and you hold it in your hand, and they're like, what is this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I was really into it. I was like, look, you pick the rock up and you meditate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, why would I do that? It's like, because... Yeah, but this is, a, I think this is an interesting summary of what we're talking about with movies. It's like, if, if you want to reach a, a global audience, but you still want to do something surprising. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I've started to experiment with art ideas in popular context. And so this week I was doing a workshop. Um, I was It was on an unconscious bias, but for a bunch of product managers, like not, and I don't use that term in a derogatory sense, in that they're not involved in creating culture, right? They're like, they're involved in like managing software teams. They're solving practical and, issues all day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so like, but midway through the talk, I brought in John Cage and his, he's four minutes and 33 seconds. And I was like, okay, we're going to perform this work together. But I, I do this every once in a while, and I perform it at a laptop. And, you know, so for four minutes and 33 seconds, we sat there in silence, observing each other, listening to the environment. They all went along for the ride. And at the end of it, you know, I would say like half of the people, you know, because I asked for observations, were like actually blown away by this experience. But then there, the, but there were also a couple people who were like, uh, what were we supposed to be doing? <laughs> And like, I find that very interesting or that at least I, you know, normally I'm addressing an art audience. So when you take art out of an art audience context yeah, yeah, and that yeah. piece, that piece has existed for 40, 50 years and it was really a genius piece. And there are a couple of people in the room, one person in the room who had heard of it before because of some other experimental music stuff. And they're like, that's the power of John Cage. It's incredible, right? Like, but other people who had just never even thought of the concept um, before had, you know, were struggling. But I think, you know, having people primed for the concept, if it's really amazing art, though, it should be able to like almost jump over that, right? Like, it could be both simple and transcendent. And maybe, you know, maybe you don't understand it fully, but you start to understand that it's different and there's something, something there. There's a high contrast level. Yeah, um, I think the same thing can happen in cinema. Yeah, uh, I mean it's beautiful if if you can uh, walk that bridge between the the difficult and the popular. Exactly. That's 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 it. and I think that's what we talk about on this podcast more often than not. Is like doing that. Yeah, is kind yeah. of Well, th there's a sus the suspicion from the art world that if it's popular, it's not difficult. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, if it's funny, for example, we've talked about in the past, then it's not serious. Yeah, but maybe that's also yeah. what I'm saying is that it, it's so expected in the art world that whatever you do is really serious, that you're not challenging anything by being serious. Well, I, yeah. Well, I think it's what we could replace that with if it looks obvious, yeah. people <laughs> aren't interested. Yeah. Right. And but if it's if it's not obvious enough, then people don't understand, and so. That ends up being the, the primal tension that uh, artists and culture makers have to explore, I think, which is like, how do we make it not so obvious that uh, people are bored like you, right? And But how do I make it obvious enough that new people find it and can can enter into the work? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I should still see more movies. It's funny, I, I have the movie pass and I could see any movie and then I'll, I'll see a <coughs> list of new and old ones and I'll still kind of want a guarantee of... Uh, not just entertainment, but then you see a classic movie, and you're like, yeah, that's probably going to be great. And then I see a list of new movies, and I'm like, should I see Ryder? Right. You know, or, or should I see Zama? And you watch the trailer, you know, it's very difficult to. It, it, it's funny, it, it literally cost me no money to go to a movie because with Movie Pass, you have 10 bucks a month, you can watch all the movies you want. And I have okay, the time well, too, but then I'm like, do I really want to see Zama? I don't know. It's so funny know, how it I'm works. sure you heard movie passes going bankrupt. Maybe there's a little bit of business. I know, talk I know, I know. This, I hope that like, it'll last a few more. <laughs> movie passes like very quickly going bankrupt, um, and now you can't. Even, you can only watch like four movies. No, a month they they backtracked. They they went back. You get an iHeart Radio subscription <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Uh, they backtracked on that, but then I read that they're running out of money this week, and that they might not last more than a couple more months. Yeah, it's too good to be true. And then, uh, and it reminds me, I once it, had it, a, it is a, in, in the Netherlands. Uh, there's always stuff in America that they think is impossible, and it exists in the Netherlands. So illegal weed and uh, illegal prostitution and uh, euthanasia, it, it all it, it all works. And it's so they have an unlimited indie movie pass that's twenty bucks a month, and it's existed for ten, fifteen years or something. So uh, okay, I well, think in the, the U.S. Thing... they think if if someone doesn't make 
15 private jets out of this, it's not possible. <laughs> right, if it's not if it's not wildly profitable. For for um, a small group of people, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also wanted to mention like on the same note, like if you, had a duty. if you had a Netflix subscription, would you go to um to to just see movies at, at the Netflix. But the, like, I haven't seen good Netflix movies. <clears throat> um, well, you haven't like yeah. I tried to watch a Netflix original. I mean, last I, night. I, it was terrible. yeah, exactly. So I, I'm I'm not really impressed with Netflix lately. Like the stand up specials, like they just start to get any comedian who's done five shows, and then mm-hmm. and so the level of content I think is going. Yeah, I'm not impressed with mm-hmm. Netflix content. Well, they're only looking at buying some theaters in New York and Los Angeles, and it's probably more of a PR thing. It's right? probably a face-tracking thing. And they just film the audience <laughs> and see which uh, scenes, and then they can cut them. It's like, oh, they didn't respond to that scene. And... Mm-hmm. But I did see a movie recently called Annihilation, uh, and it went direct to Netflix. So the movie studios are starting did to think like about... Did you like it? Annihilation, I thought, was fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I have to watch um, it was from the same director as uh, Ex Machina, which is also a really interesting film. Yeah. Um, we haven't really talked about our favorite films in this episode. I don't know if we have time to. Well, I, I recommend um, these two movies, uh, Sorcerer and Zabriskie Point. Okay. Um, and I'll recommend uh, Get Out, Moonlight, and uh, Annihilation. Mo- Moonlight <laughs> was one of those movies where I knew I had to watch it, but the theme is mm-hmm. so depressing that you're like, do I really want to be depressed tonight? Maybe tomorrow, and you just—it's—it's it's like, like doing sit-ups, yeah. and you know you have to do them, but you're like, nah, not today. I don't feel so good. Yeah, Kristen always does that to me too, because we want—we really wanted to watch. I wanted to watch the Florida Project the other day, and she's like, no, I don't. It's like, is it going to be too heavy? <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, but I really enjoy that. I also really enjoy documentaries. I'm, I'm a little bit like you. I prefer discomfort during a film to comfort. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I, I also really love stupid movies, but. Yeah. I don't know. Like, to me, the I'm... Marvel movies are just specifically annoying because they're not stupid like a good '80s action movie where they're ridiculous and they're like, right? They, they like you chop someone's head off and then say, "How's that for a headache?" And like those, you know, it's, <laughs> whatever happened to that? How come Arnold Schwarzenegger's? There's no who's the new Arnold Schwarzenegger? I know no one-liners anymore. No, I love those. Yeah, yeah. The the one about bubblegum. <laughs> yeah, I'm all out of bubblegum. Yeah, stuff Can you like. Imagine being like Roger Ebert, though, reviewing one of those films or something like that, yeah. like back in the '90s. No, but I, 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 mean, oft, I often thought. wonder, like, oh, am I missing the fun? And like, if, twenty years later, Fast and the Furious seems really funny, but right now I don't see the funny side of it. Oh, but a lot of people like actually consider Fast and the Furious to be like almost like a critical body of work. Have you? I don't know if you. <laughs> oh, I haven't. I didn't catch that one. No. Okay, that's a that's a that's like for another episode. But like, um, and we didn't even get into like all of what's happened in fan fiction. Oh and, yeah, like, and what's we, happened in CGI because of course that <clears throat> yeah CGI has totally France, changed filmmaking. Fra- I don't know if I said that before, but Francis Ford Coppola said that because of CGI. Films went from a photographic medium to a painterly medium, so that's something to think oh, about. Yeah, that is, yeah, I, that's really fascinating. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe we leave that off because we're gonna we'll do a whole episode on. It, it feels like when we reach a hundred episodes, we can just start over on all the topics because we we're barely scratching the surface on each topic. Yeah, I mean the problem. You know, one of the things we did, I don't think we knew we were gonna do when we started this podcast is. Uh, talk about everything in the world (laughs) (laughs) so it's a long list of things and we uh, continue to get great suggestions from our audience which we always try and work into the show which we don't Um, (laughs) (laughs) i think we have three we have three requested topics and we haven't touched any i try and weave them into the discussion that's what i'm trying to do i it always gets i like it because it like piques my curiosity like oh why did i wonder why they want to someone someone Um, wanted requested the topic of documentation subcultures oh, and intention and, so those three and the documentation suggestion is fantastic i have a whole lecture yeah, on that yeah, topic yeah. and i definitely okay so maybe next week sure Cliffhanger. Um, cgi and documentation or something like yeah that. and we missed out on a whole bunch of tech news this week which i i, I hope we but maybe i could summarize well, the, it in, in i think one the, line, the good is thing like, is we're testing the limits of uh, tediousness with our podcast and where we have too mm-hmm. much to talk about so those are two very good uh, things <laughs> that's good that's good yeah but uh yeah like google and facebook made huge announcements this week neither of which we talked about <laughs> we'll get to that as, uh, uh, did as anyone notice that the, the uh, podcasts are generated by an ai and that you're listening to robots 
Yeah. Did Did you not notice my ums and ums <laughs> yeah. are actually computer generated? Yeah. Anyway, uh, check it out online. You could just type Google. <laughs> <laughs> just Google Google. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of controversy. Sorry, we're Google getting silly. Um, um, let's listen yeah, to. So, um, uh, oh, now it's your field recording this week. We're short on field recording, so urgent request um, from our listeners uh, all over the world. Please send in your field recordings. They can be recorded on a cell phone. In fact, that's how most people do it. Um, they don't have to be fancy. They just have to be um, unique, like something that you've heard, or not even unique. They can just be a little slice of your life. Um, we love hearing them. Yep. So, and uh, that being said, I, w- I would like uh, we had a f- one or two recordings that we recorded with high end equipment. Maybe we need more of those. That would be awesome. Hmm. Mm. You're tra- you're trying to turn these into movies, though. Yeah. You know, no, whatever works. Big, big production. Yeah. Uh, what I like the experimental. Okay. Anyway, we walked. So what's we, your I was from? walking around in my neighborhood, and the, uh, there was some chanting coming out of a nondescript space that turned out to be a Buddhist temple. So mm-hmm. uh, th- there's a street. I think it's Hester and Essex, and there's a Buddhist temple, and they're always on a Friday. They're always just burning wood in front of this. I don't know how it's legal. They have a wood burning <laughs> stove outside, and it's just like these guys hanging out burning paper and wood. And tons of smoke, and somehow it's all right. <laughs> so I don't know why that makes me laugh. So just just imagine like a street in the Lower East Side that is almost completely gentrified, but there's just like these Buddhist monks in orange robes burning uh, uh, phone books. Well, good for them. Yeah, and so that's um, what we're listening to. All right. Okay. Till next have a, week. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Yeah, I'm